Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. I'm going to push the code here. Great. So, uh, interestingly enough, the, the study today complements uh, Jan's sermon. I'd like us to begin in Genesis 1. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the resurrection. So as it comes to Passover, let's just review the resurrection and, and the hope that we have in the resurrection. And let's understand how it fits in the narrative. We keep talking about this. What is the grand narrative? And everything we, that we learn in the Bible needs to plug into this narrative. If it doesn't fit in the narrative, it's probably false. So we need to make sure that we grasp the narrative. Let's begin at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So this is the very first thing we need to push pause and say, what does that mean? Because most people read over this. And and if they didn't read over it, we wouldn't have all the deception that we have in the world today. God created the heaven and the earth. They were complementary. Together they were a unit. We we are so infected with Plato's philosophy of the heavens, and then there's this thing called the earth, which is kind of dirty, kind of ugly, full of evil, and the sooner we can get rid of it, the better. And so we, we, we house these immortal souls trapped inside us, and finally when we die, these pure immortal souls can leave the earth and go up to heaven. This doesn't come from the Hebrew Bible. In in, in the scriptures, God created the heaven and the earth. And then we're going to see a lot of activity on the earth, and we're going to hear him say over and over, it's good, it's good, it's very good. God loves the earth. And, And somehow when we put our spiritual hats on, we despise the earth. It, it's so, um, it has so infected all the religions of the world that it even comes into the church. And we need to have the perspective God has that the earth is good, it's very good, and God loves it. And Christ said we should pray, thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. So there should be this match, this correspondence between heaven and earth. Dropping down to verse 25. God made the beasts of the earth after its kind and cattle after its kind and every living thing that creeps upon the earth after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So I think our young people know all about this, that all of these uh, animals and creatures reproduce after their own kind. But Moses makes it clear to us, not so with man that we do not reproduce after mankind. It's very different with man. Verse 26, God said, let us, and we know that that's Christ and the Father, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So this is like a big point of departure here, that we see that God is in heaven, there's all this creative activity on the earth, but when it comes to man, man is created in God's image. 
So that's the very first thing that we understand about man. We are created to reflect the image of God, who's in heaven. We're on earth, he's in heaven, and we're created to reflect his image and his likeness. Then it goes further. <coughs> and Moses writes, And let them have dominion over everything that's been created on the earth. So we see that not only do we, are we to look like God and reflect his image, we're also to act like God. That the same way that God has dominion over his creation, we are created to have dominion over all of the earth. So God created man to be a king. We see that right out of the gates. He's, he's created in God's image, and he's created to be a king. In verse 27, what we see is the creation process, this, this um, reproduction process of creating man in God's image, that the only way that that is done is when he creates the male and female. That it's in the integration of male and female that we reflect. God's image. So he says, let us, there's two, and then he creates two. And we know that Christ said, I and my Father are one, so these two are one, and then he creates these two to be one. And this, these two as one reflect these two as one. It's the same image. So this has to do now with authority, that together, this, inter this integrated couple has authority over all of the creation. And and in, and in looking at them, you see God's image. You see his likeness. In chapter 3, they have dominion over the entire creation, including the serpent. So the serpent cannot come to them with any type of authority over them. We see the serpent having to submit to them, and therefore it's going to approach them deceptively. It can't come and command them to, to break God's law. So it's going to come under their authority, but deceive them. So the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So Adam is naming all of the beasts of the field, and he's interacting with the beast of the field. But this, this one was more subtle. So Satan chose to present himself through this serpent and he approached the woman and he asks her has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman then explains that they can eat of the fruit but just not of the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil otherwise they'll die and then in verse 4 the serpent says to the woman you shall not surely die so, so we see there's this thing called death there's life and there's death. And God warns them about death, how to avoid it. So they were intended to reflect God's image forever on the earth. They were designed to look, speak, and act like the God in heaven on the earth. And that's important. Like right out of the gate, Moses says he created the heaven and the earth. He, didn't, he doesn't open the book saying, and in the beginning God created the earth. He makes it very clear. He created the heavens and the earth. And they're complementary. And he creates the dry land and the sea. And they're complementary. And he creates the animals and humans. And we're complementary. And he creates male and female. And we're complementary. 
And the whole system is so complementary that when God looks at it, he says, this is very good. This is really good. He loves it. Verse 8. So they take the, they disobey, they take the fruit, they introduce death. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Like this, this should leap off the page at us. God creates the heavens and the earth. Everything that he does on the earth, he says it's really, really, really good. He doesn't say, what have I done? The earth is evil. I can't wait to bring Adam up into the heavens because the earth is filthy. He says, the earth is really good, and it's so good, I'm happy to come down into the earth and walk in the garden. Like, this is huge. The creator is happy to walk on planet earth. There's not a problem. Like, he doesn't have a problem with the earth. We're the ones that have the problem. God doesn't have a problem with earth. In fact, it's the opposite. He desires the earth. Satan was the one who had the problem with earth, not God. And so he's walking in the garden. Somewhere, wherever this garden of Eden is, it's somewhere in the Middle East. And he came down, and you could hear his footsteps. The Creator. And Adam and his wife hid themselves uh, amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. So we just need to see this opening, this introduction of, of what, where it all began. The heavens and the earth. And there's no problem with God going back and forth between the heaven and the earth. It's an integrated whole. It's a whole system. So the whole universe is God's. And he doesn't despise it. It's very, very good. But death was introduced. We know, uh, I'll just quote Ezekiel 18, where he says, the soul that sins shall die. So Adam and Eve introduced death in this beautiful garden. And now we see that the soul that sins dies. It's not that we have a soul, we are a soul. And we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And when we sin, we die. Let's go now to Ecclesiastes 9. I'll just read this in Genesis 3. We, we left it, but just again, this, this concept that we've got to get clear. In verse 9, he says, The Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, Where are you? God, the Creator is walking on the earth. And he's saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? And verse 10, And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. The Creator was walking in the garden, and, he could, and Adam could hear his voice. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God is on the earth interacting with Adam and Eve. He has size. He has form. 
And Adam and Eve are created in his image and in his likeness. So we like we need to grasp this. God has no problem being on earth. None at all. The earth is very good. We see now in Ecclesiastes 9, because of Adam and Eve's sin, verse 5, the living know that they will die. So every single person here is old enough to know that we're going to die. That's, that's knowledge that's inside our brains, inside our minds. We sometimes push it out. We don't like to think about it. But it's there. We know this. If I say to you, one day you're going to die, you're not going to say, oh, that's the first time I've ever heard that. You're like, everybody knows, right? But look at this. But the dead know nothing. So this immortal soul concept is completely false. It's, 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 it's a lie. That every one of us is going to die. We know this. And when we die, we know nothing. That's it. It's over. The, the intellectual activity, the electrical activity that's taking place now, for you to comprehend what I'm saying, it stops. And when we're dead, we know nothing. Yet, there are all these promises to Abraham that have to be fulfilled through his seed. In fact, let's go further and say this. That the purpose of the covenant with Abraham is to undo the sin of Adam. That from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, we see the consequences of Adam's and Eve's sin. And then in Genesis, so we see the problem. We get to see the problem in its entirety. And it's cascaded all the way down to 2017, our day today. All of, all of the problems we're seeing in the world today began with Adam and Eve. And we see from Genesis 3 to 12 just how horrible it got. Then in Genesis 12, we see God single out this man called Abraham and create a covenant with him. And the purpose of that covenant was to undo Adam's sin. And it was to restore man back to what we saw in Genesis 1. That man is to bear the image of God. Man is to have dominion. He's to be a, a vice regent, a king on the earth. And he's to do the work of God. There, there's work that Adam and Eve had to do. It's not just, I'm going to, Eve was made as a help meet for Adam. She was a support that was suitable to him. So he had work to do. And she was designed to complement him to do the work. But they lost the plot. So God makes a covenant with Abraham so that through Abraham, he's going to restore mankind back to the state that Adam and Eve were originally in. And then that means that the whole covenant of Abraham cascades down to Israel. And so Israel is the means through which all of mankind will be saved and restored. So Israel has to be redeemed first in order for all of mankind to be redeemed. But there's no um, concept in the Bible that says that God hates the earth and God hates man and, you know, he only likes Jews. This doesn't come from the Bible. What comes from the Bible is God loves the earth. He loves to be in the earth with man. But Adam spoiled it. If Adam, did, if Adam and Eve didn't 
take of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if they chose the tree of life, I think we can stretch our imagination a little bit to say God would have spent a lot of time on the earth with Adam and Eve. He doesn't have a problem with the earth. So now what he has to do is redeem Adam through Israel. Now, so we know that if, if the dead are dead, and he makes this promise to Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed in you, then there must be a way to bring these families back to life so that his word is true. It's not, it's not all the families in the earth in the future. It's all the families of the earth. I'm going to redeem them through you. So there must be a way of bringing these people back to life so that they can know God. Look at John 11. Actually, maybe just before we go here. So John 11 is going to talk about the resurrection. Let me just pause and say, are, are you with me so far? Is there anything that's not clear or, or you're in disagreement with? So far, so good? Yes, sir. What I'm seeing is that God all this time that he spent with us and up until Satan was in prison is it was his effort to get back to the day before Adam and Eve sinned. Back to the original Sabbath. Right. Yeah. So that, that fellowship that he had with Adam and Eve where where Adam had a purpose, where Eve had a had purpose to have dominion. And he was fellowshipping with them and they were his representatives. They were kings and priests on the earth. That was their function. And and they were to fellowship with him and thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. And they threw it all away. And God said, you know what? Even though you've thrown it all away, I'm going to restore you. And so then he puts Israel in place and they throw it all away. And then he says, even though you've thrown it all away, I'm going to restore you. Because your mankind is faithless. But God is faithful. Yeah. Because of his, because when he makes an agreement, he keeps it, no matter what. Yeah, absolutely correct. But clearly, um, Adam and Eve, as kings on the earth, the serpent was under them. They gave their dominion to him. So then the serpent was now over them. And he says to Christ, all these kingdoms belong to me. So he certainly is, has dominion over the earth to this day. But God is seeking to put man back in that role where it's God and mankind right under him, and then all the creation. And all the creation is blessed because <coughs> of man in this role of dominion. This concept of the immortal soul that you <coughs> talked about, which is a pillar of, of false religions, is, is the same thing that Satan said to Adam and Eve Correct. in the garden. That's right. And he's, he doesn't change his mind about right. one day, it's always the same. He's not very creative, he's yeah. devious. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I 
believe that these constant, all the constant miracles are are led by Satan. Correct. Because they're deceived because there is a certain percentage of, of mankind that that will pursue a, a religious interest. Mm -hmm. And if Satan can get them before they come to to God and, and sidetrack them, then that's the that's the percentage that But that but I would say Larry, don't pick on the Protestants. No. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Ma reincarnation, it's yeah, all the same thing. Yeah, I, I love them all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, all, they're all the same. Okay. The ultimate uh, reset, we talked about the reset with Abraham. Yes. The lines were around. This is the ultimate reset button is when Jesus appears. And that ultimately resets so that we can do what Adam and Eve failed to do in the fall. Correct. So now, to that point, this what's really critical for us to understand in what you just said, is that reset is an Israel reset. Yeah. That, the, that the covenant agreement, the terms and conditions are with Israel. Israel broke the covenant. And so all of the terms and conditions that deal with breaking the covenant fall on Israel's head. And they have to be exiled from the land, they have to be subjugated and, and, and basically destroyed because that's what the covenant said would happen. Christ comes through the line of Israel to be the perfect Israelite, so that as he lives his life, he satisfies all the terms and conditions of the, ter of the, of the Deuteronomic covenant. Because right to the crucifixion, he does everything in obedience to the covenant. When he's, when he's finally crucified, he satisfies all of the terms and conditions of the covenant. But not only for Israel, but for everybody. But first through Israel. Israel must be redeemed and restored as the priests of God, the peculiar nation. Mm -hmm. And then that peculiar nation facilitates the salvation of all mankind. So to Jan's uh, sermon earlier, the church is the new Jerusalem. But the church is Israel. It's this new covenant with Israel that Gentiles can be grafted into, but we are still the 12 tribes of Israel. We are Israel. And as Israel, we are the priests of the earth. And we bring all the Gentiles to God. And they have to come to God through Israel. And then ultimately, all mankind is saved. But it is through Israel. And we are Israel. Yeah, sub submersible. Does that mean that when Christ actually put his seven days in, in the desert, that um, if you bow down and worship me, all this was given to me. Yeah. Is that when it was given to him? Yes, because Adam was given dominion over all the creation, and suddenly we see Satan has dominion over the, all the creation. So correct, I would say at that point, Adam lost the plot, and and it was given to Satan. A Satan became Adam's Adam's god. Instead of worshiping the true god, Adam and Eve are now giving their power and allegiance to the devil. Go ahead. 
think that the Steelers' life is taken by Texas and Dallas, and some may say, okay, who's, who's going higher, college one, the Dallas Lions, and say they're both together, the year of the year, and still during the year, college is going to come and down now, but we're giving to him because certain How is that different? Well, you say Auburn's skin turns the ball from upside down, but I'm under the impression that God gave Sam. Okay, you take over. You you throw a pass to Sam. kind of a formal ceremony, a handing over? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we weren't there. But the outcome is the, the, outcome is the same, that, that Adam and Eve had dominion over the entire creation. They were gods on earth. And the serpent comes to Eve subtly and takes that dominion away from her. Christ comes, and Satan comes to him subtly to take the dominion away from him. But he did not cooperate. And so he becomes the true king, the rightful ruler, and, and the true Israelite to restore the kingdom to Israel. So I think we're, we're not saying different things. There may be details that you see that I, I don't see, but I think the outcome is the same. Okay, John 11. <coughs> so uh, this is Christ is now on earth, and he has disciples, and he's teaching the disciples the scriptures. And the purpose of God and what God is doing. And people have this huge difficulty that Christ is God. Even Christians. There are these um, Unitarian Christians who say Christ is a pretty good guy, but he's not God. When you read the scriptures, it's so clear that this God has come into the earth. <coughs> so I think if we, if we begin with Genesis 1 and realize God loves the earth, and he has no problem coming into the earth, then it's not so hard to believe that Christ is God. And he's come back into the earth. But he's teaching his uh, disciples about the scriptures and the purpose of God. And then Lazarus uh, dies. And in verse 23 of John 11, Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. So this is quite phenomenal. He doesn't say your brother has an immortal soul and he's in heaven now. He says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she understood the resurrection and understood that, and yes, I know this, he, he will live again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. And that Greek word means to stand up. So I am the standing up. So, so the fact that human beings who are in the grave, they're going to stand up again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, 
Notice what she says. Who is to come into the world. So there were scriptures that were Israelite scriptures that were telling them that your God is going to come into the earth. And she's saying, I, I really believe that you, you are the fulfillment of these scriptures. That I'm, I am looking at the Son of God who was prophesied to come into the earth to redeem Israel and to restore the kingdom to Israel. That's who I believe I'm looking at. Look now at Luke 24. <coughs> so she believed that, and, and many of the disciples understood this. And we're going to actually, this week in the Bible study, we're on Luke 7, and this is where uh, John the Baptist sends messengers to Christ to say, are you the one we're looking for? And so he answers that question. So they, they had a certain level of understanding. Let's see now how, how, um, how deep that understanding went. Luke 24, verse 14, Christ has now been crucified, and he's been buried. He's come into the earth. They knew who he was. They believed that he was the Messiah. And verse 14, they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, so they're talking about all these things that have happened, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were held that they shouldn't know him. And he said to him, said to them, what basically what are you guys talking about what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and you're sad and one of them whose name was cleopas answering said to him are you only a stranger in jerusalem and you haven't known the things which have come to pass there in these days and again the focus on jerusalem these prophecies had it's all around jerusalem and he said unto them what things and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21 is the critical verse. But we trusted, we believed that this, he was the Messiah. We knew that he was the Son of God. And we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. That's what all the prophecies were about. That the Son of God, the, 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 the Isianic servant, would come into the earth. Why? To redeem all mankind? No. To redeem Israel. And when Israel is redeemed, Israel will be the tool that God will use to redeem all mankind. But Israel has to be redeemed first. And so we really believed him. We trusted him. We came to see that he is the one that's going to redeem Israel. Because all the prophecies point to that. And now he's dead. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So they basically said, oh well, another false messiah. We thought it was him. We really believed in him. And we all, at least we know he was a mighty prophet. But we're, we're still under Roman rule. We're still under subjugation. We haven't been redeemed. So I guess it's not him. So they, they understood, but not fully. And they didn't understand that the, the crucifixion was actually the victory. Now, let's go to Romans 1. Where 
Paul comes online, and he clearly understands. And he's the apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> Romans 1, and he speaks of the resurrection. And verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's saying the same thing. All of this has been prophesied in the Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So that, that was critical, that as God came into the earth, he had to come into the earth through the line of David. And so Paul is telling, there's a reason why. Because David was the king. And he was to have, through his loins, the ultimate king that's going to reign from Jerusalem over the whole earth. But he had to come through David's line. So Paul is saying that this is what was prophesied. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness. How? How, how is he going to do this? By the resurrection from the dead. So this resurrection becomes pivotal in the whole salvation process. That he had to come and be the perfect human being. He had to die as the perfect human being and then be resurrected. And, and that paves the way for the rest of mankind to be redeemed. But not just any human being. He had to come as the perfect Israelite. And he had to come as the perfect son of David so that he could satisfy the covenant conditions. By the resurrection from the dead. So that's what they didn't understand. They said, besides this, it's been three days since all these things have happened. And boom, he comes back to life through the resurrection from the dead. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ? So he's speaking to the Gentiles now, that they are now called of Christ through Israel. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 4 now. And so now in chapter 4, Paul is showing us how Christ is pivotal in fulfilling the scriptures. So what is, why did Christ have to be this human being through the line of David? Romans 4, verse 17. As it is written, <laughs> the word of God is so serious. If he says it or it's written, then it has to happen. There's no, there's no getting around it. God takes his word very seriously. As it is written, I have made you, that's Abraham, a father of many nations. Okay, so this is about Abraham. And it's written that he will be a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were. So even though they're not in existence yet, because God's word is so powerful, he can speak as if they are. Who against hope believed in hope, this is Abraham, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. 
so shall thy seed be. So Abraham, even though he's really old, even though he has no children, because God said it, he believed that he would be this father of many nations. Basically, the whole earth will belong to Abraham. And it, it kind of doesn't make any sense, but God said it, so he believes it. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't think about those things. He just thought about what God said. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And I think this is where we have to get to, where we are fully persuaded that whatever God promises, he's going to perform. And so we need to go back through the scriptures and see these promises, specifically to Abraham and specifically to Israel. And no matter what it looks like on the surface, no matter what people tell us, no matter what competing ideologies there are, we're just like, nope, what God promised, he's able to perform. And this has everything to do with Jan's sermon around Jerusalem, because these promises are, are specifically are around Jerusalem. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So because he believed in the promises, God imputed it to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So believing in the resurrection has everything to do with God considering us righteous. And, and, and believing in the resurrection as the Messiah through the line of David, being resurrected to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem in fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. If we believe this, God imputes that to us for righteousness. Who was delivered, verse 25, so Christ was resurrected and he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This hour is not personal. Or I shouldn't say, I should say, it's not only personal. It's not, oh, the Passover is coming up. Oh, isn't that nice? Jesus died for my sins and for my justification. I'm going to take the Passover now, because Jesus loves me. It's bigger than me. It's much bigger. This has to do with all the nations coming under Abraham, or coming through Abraham. But the children of Abraham disobeying and breaking the covenant. So God, come, so God comes as a child of Abraham and keeps the covenant. So now, Israel can be restored. Israel can come back into the land. Israel can now have the land because the covenant conditions have been satisfied. So he was delivered for Israel's offenses and raised again for Israel's justification so that Israel can now do their duty of redeeming the world. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5. Romans 5, verse, drop down to verse 17. For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, 
death reigned by one. So just because of this one man, death governs everybody. Every human being knows that they're going to die. So the same way that through the one man death came, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So, so Christ is the central figure. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, we come to Romans 8. And this again, this has everything to do with the earth. And going back to God creating the heavens and the earth and having no problem moving between the heavens and the earth. We're the ones that have the problem with God moving between heaven and earth. God, God doesn't have a problem with it. But Romans 8, verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So the key is this Holy Spirit that's in us. And even though we die, we'll, we'll live. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. The Spirit itself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So all things were created by Christ and for Christ. And he's, inherit, he's inherited all things. And we're going to inherit the heavens and the earth with Christ. So even though we're on the earth, we're inheriting everything. Because Christ has inherited everything. So we, we mustn't have this separation between the heavens and the earth. It's just location. So there's heavens and there's earth. But it's all one integrated system to God. And Christ moves back and forth between the heavens and the earth and he inherits it all and we're going to inherit it all with him. And then verse 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And we really need to get this in our heads because this present time is an evil time and there's a lot of cowards. There are a lot of Christian cowards. And Christian cowardice is an oxymoron. Christian cowardice is a Christian that doesn't believe the word of God. Because Christ was not a coward. And Christians follow Christ. And Christ was victorious in his crucifixion. So he, he went as a lamb to the slaughter and didn't open his mouth. Because in his crucifixion was victory. So when, when the devil throws at him his worst, Christ is at his best. And we are Christians. But if we don't believe this, we will be cowards. We will yield to political correctness. We will not, we will not praise Christ when we should. So we have to really understand what, what's ahead of us. And the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared. Verse 19. For the eager expectation of the creation waits 
for the manifestation of the sons of God. This takes us all the way back to Genesis. That God looked at everything that he created and said, it's really, really good. And then he created man and he said, let him have dominion over all of this. And then he put man to work. Man was to work the creation. And in working the creation, beautify it, glorify it, and all would praise God. And basically he messed up. And now the creation is yearning for the, the, the reinstatement of Adam, the sons of God. And so that, that's what Christ has done, is he's paved the way for us to be restored, to be redeemed. And the whole creation, it can't wait. It's, it's just bursting with anticipation for us to come on the scene. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. It takes us back to Genesis. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. There's a, there's a process here. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So that sin that Adam engaged in, it's not just Adam, it's not just the sons of Adam that suffer. The whole creation is in bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So that redemption of our body now we'll find in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll just touch on a couple of scriptures there. Just for time's sake, I, I would really like to go through it all. But um, in verse fi- chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 20, it says, But now Christ is, verse 19, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So this is a time when they were just under persecution. They were suffering. And, and if, the, if, if it was only in this life, what a waste of time. But there's something more. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he goes on to say, as in, so in, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. He goes on to explain the different types of um, bodies that we'll have. In verse 45, he says that the first Adam became a living being. So he was made out of the dust of the ground. Uh, the breath of life was put into his nostrils, and he became a living being. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. What is that? What is, what is, what is a spirit that can give life? So the first one was given life, but the second one gives life. This is God. The second Adam is God, and we are the sons of God. So he goes on to explain then that process and how, verse 50, um, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, so we've, we've got to uh, change. Verse 51, it's a mystery. We're not all asleep, but we all have to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then he says in verse 55, basically that's the end of death. But let's conclude then in Revelation. Revelation 5. 
God, this, this life-giving spirit, the second Adam, who is God, comes into the earth. Happy to do so. His earth. But he comes into the earth with the purpose of redeeming Israel. And then in verse 10, we see the outcome of this redemption. And he has made us, that's Israel, unto our God, kings and priests. And we shall reign on earth. We finally get back to Adam. This is Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. Now after this whole process, Israel can be put back in place as kings and priests. A nation of king, a peculiar nation of kings and priests that will reign on the earth. God loves the earth. We're going to be these resurrected beings, the church of God. We're going to be kings. We're going to reign over the creation. And the, the creation is groaning for us to do this. It can't wait. Because this reigning process is productive. And it's helpful and it's beneficial. And we're going to be priests. So we're going to bring the whole world to Abraham. This is how the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. Let's conclude in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. So, we're in this present time. But finally, this age is over. So, we're, pa- we're through the millennium now. Lake of fire. All those who want to be wicked, are they're, they're, they're toast. They're, they're over. Uh, now we have all the people who truly are converted and in the kingdom of God. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth takes us right back to Genesis 1. Heaven and earth go, to, go together. There isn't this, like in, in Plato's mind, there was this huge separation and never the twain shall meet. Heaven is spiritual, earth is material, and they have nothing to do with one another. The scriptures make it clear they have everything to do with one another. It's an integrated whole. There's heaven and earth. And now, there's a new heaven and a new earth. It's still integrated. But it's new. The first heaven and the first earth, what we read about in Genesis, have passed away. So that's now over. But this integration remains between heaven and earth. But the difference now is there's no more sea. Because in, in the first one, there's, there's dry land and, and sea. Now, no more sea. It's just earth. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, So it's a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. This is hard for Plato. This is really tough for Plato. And for those of us who are the children of Plato's influence, it's kind of hard on us as well. But for God, it's his creation. It's just a matter of location. So there's heaven and earth. And because man is on earth, our, our perspective is from the earth. But it's a whole universe that's one system. And God can go anywhere. And he comes to earth and he's happy to come to earth. And now especially that it's all new. God the Father himself will now change location and come to earth. I saw the new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
The husband is Christ. The city is for him. The church will be in the city, marrying Christ. So the church and the city go together, and, they ma- and we marry Christ. And God has prepared this. So in my house, in my father's house, are many rooms. There are many mansions. It's a big place. And we're all going to be in it and marrying Christ. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Let's not get hung up on the fact that men are on earth. Men were created in the image and likeness of God because he wants to dwell with us. He, he, he created us for fellowship. He created the animals after their kind, the vegetation after its kind, the fish and reptiles after their kind. But he created man after his kind because he wants to dwell with man. And he never had it in his mind when he created man that he was going to transport man to heaven and dwell with man in heaven. It was always from the beginning that he created man on the earth and he, was gonna, and he actually did dwell with man on the earth. But we, because of Adam, we've just corrupted the earth like to no end. So he's got to completely cleanse it and then get back to what he wants. He wants to dwell with man on the earth. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. So he says, you know, let us make man in our image and our likeness. But it's a father and a son. And then he creates Adam and Eve as one, the same way they are one. But that marriage between Adam and Eve symbolizes this marriage between Christ and the church. So when Christ and the church become one, then the father and the one, Christ, with the church, that's the image of God. That, that takes us right back to the beginning. So by, by being integrated into the church, into Jerusalem, and then marrying Christ, we become one with Christ, and Christ is one with the Father. So it takes us right back to Genesis 1. When you wipe away all tears from their eyes, all this sorrow will be gone. There will be no more death. Death is over. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So, what we're living today is passing away. All of it. All of it. We will remain, God willing. We will still be the individual personalities, but we will all be in a new body. Same people, new body. This new body is going to be in the New Jerusalem, which is a place. And we will be walking up and down in the New Jerusalem. And as the church, we're going to marry Christ, and then the Father's going to come down, and we're all going to be on the earth, dwelling together as part of of this integrated system, which is the whole universe. And so from the earth and from the New Jerusalem, we'll travel through the whole universe. just happens to be that the earth will be the center. And, and for, again, for Plato, this is really difficult. 
But if we just accept the word of God, that when God promised to Abraham a certain plot of land, he really, really meant it. And when he said that Abraham will be the father of all nations, he really, really meant it. That all of these nations are going to come into Israel and be the children of Abraham and marry Christ. And we're going to dwell with God forever in this, in this new era, whatever we, it's, uh, we don't fully know. But it's real. It's a great day. It's phenomenal. And all of this is enabled by the Passover. By Christ as our Passover. So that's that's really what I wanted to cover. Is if there's any thoughts or comments or questions. Let me catch up to you. Revelations 22. Yeah, so, so the scripture sort of moves forward and then it comes back, yeah. right? So um, Revelation 21 is sort of the ultimate end. And then he comes back and he says, you know, write this. Behold, I come quickly. And uh, blessed is he that keeps the sayings, that's verse 7, of the prophecy of this book. So he's telling John to write these things down. Um, and then it's just a conversation he's having with them. And he says, uh, verse 10, he, says to, he said to me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So make sure people get access to this prophecy, because the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. So we've, we've now come back to present tense. Even though we had a glimpse of the future, we've now come back to present tense. He that's unjust, let him be unjust. He that is filthy, let him be filthy. He that is righteous, let him be righteous. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly. So this is now, we, we, we're now come back this side of the New Jerusalem. We went, we went on the other side, and now we've come back. Okay. And he says, uh, outside then of these things. Exactly. It's a new heaven. The old, the former things have passed away. It's a new heaven and a new earth. And verse 17 feels that too because it says there's certain brides that come to them to escape from that are still in the station of Christ. Yeah, so I think that um, the, the main thing that I'm getting as I'm looking at Genesis and, and going right through to Revelation is that heaven and earth are an integrated whole. It's, it's like a man and a woman, ma a husband and a wife, are an integrated whole. It's like together we are one. And, and so the heavens and earth together, it's one. And Plato has done a number on us. We'll be separated. It's like, oh yeah, the heavens over there and the earth is here. To God, it's, it's one system. And he's going to move his tabernacle 
from heaven to earth. But for now, he has no problem going back and forth. And he's made numerous appearances on the earth. Uh, the last one being when he was actually crucified. That's where the physical becomes bad. Like the physical. Everything physical exactly. Everything exactly. That's Plato. Yeah. That's not God. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he's considered an apostle and writer. That's right. That's right. So you just, you just moved a lot of the, the physical things to know God's character. And a lot of, at one point, the water system, the water is evaporated up, it rains down. It's, it's a balanced system. God believes in balance. And, 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 and when you look at things in, in under a microscope, in the minutest detail, they're beautiful. Everything is beautiful in the most minute detail. And in the natural world, like before man had us, everything was in balance. We just had the earth in place. There's a natural system to balance it out. If there's if there's not enough clay, the predators don't create any offspring, and 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 vice versa. And and I think we have it in ourselves, Larry. I don't know if you've ever created something. Maybe it's art or something. You, you created something, and you look at it, and you feel so good about it. It's like, wow, this is great. Yeah, you wrote a song, or you painted a picture, or you, you built something, and it's like, man, this is good. Right? Yeah. And, w- and when they work, it's a thing of beauty. And so the whole system, the heaven and the earth together, was beautiful. But man was on earth and allowed himself to be conquered by the devil. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.